0: West Bulls. Good morning. Hey, um, I am, uh, if it's first time here, my name is Nathan. I'm the associate pastor here, and I am not the guy who's usually up here every single week. That would be Thomas, although uh, if he keeps saying there are four months per season, we might have to see about that. You just gave us a 16-month year, so, um, but, well, ish, yeah. Californians, all right. <laughs> Well, uh, just because Thomas isn't up here this morning, and I'm biased when I say this, um, you're still in good hands, okay? Let me explain why. Uh, About a month and a half ago, (coughs) excuse me, we were over at Paul and Lori Eldridge's house. Paul is an elder here at the church, and we were standing in their kitchen talking, and Paul said, Nathan, I just gotta tell you, our youngest daughter Charlotte loves your sermons. I thought, oh, well, that's nice. Thank you, Paul. And and right when my head got about this big from having heard that, he followed it up with this. Yeah, Nathan, she uses recordings of your sermons to fall asleep at night. (laughs) It's like, oh, so that's where this conversation's going. Paul? He said, no, 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 let me explain. She can't put on a recording of Thomas's messages. She can't put on music. She said there is actually something about Nathan's Nathan's voice that just sends her right to sleep so this morning whether it's your first time or your 1500th time do me a favor just sit back in your seat and let the silky smooth golden voice of Nathan Harrison just lull you right on into sleep all right thanks Paul all right well I'm glad we got that out of the way um I want to direct your attention to the screen here um this (coughs) excuse me This is a widely known painting of Jesus that many of you probably recognize. And this particular rendition was painted on the wall of a church in Spain. And um, obviously you can tell it's fading and it's chipping and and it needs some restoration. And so one of their church members one morning looked at it and said, I'm going to fix that. And she went home and she got her paints and she worked on this for days and days and days. And that turned into weeks and she finished are you ready to see the finished product? Are you sure you're ready to see the finished product? All right, here it is. Ooh. Ouch. In fact, that's exactly what the media said. The media got a hold of this, and they said, this was a disgrace. And they actually, she agreed to sit down to an interview, and she said, they said, what, what were you thinking as you did this? And she just said, if I just looked at it and felt like if I didn't do something if I didn't do something that this would fade into obscurity and and I read that and I just thought that's that's it that's one of my fears too I mean I don't drive around looking for paintings to save or anything like that but there are moments there are seasons there are areas of my life sometimes I step back and I look at my whole life and I think that same thing I think I don't want to fade into obscurity I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and go, well, that was ordinary. And I certainly don't want other people to look at my life and go, oof, that was a disgrace. See, I think that's a fear that I have, but I think that's a fear a lot of us have. And I think it's directly tied to something else deep down within our hearts. I was talking to somebody this week, and they summed it up perfectly. They said, I just feel like I want to be part of something big. You know that feeling? you just want to be part of something extraordinary. That this time, this energy, this effort spent here on earth is going to something extraordinary. And that's hard. It's hard when you feel that inside you, but then you look around you and maybe you don't see it. At an area of your life or a season of life, it's hard when you don't see anything extraordinary going on, isn't it? That's an emotional place to be. And it gets more emotional when you think about the words of that famous philosopher Marshall Mathers, Eminem. He says, you only get one shot, right? And that makes us feel like, I got to do something. We say the same thing she had said when she looked at this painting. I just got to do something. And if I don't, dot, dot, dot. If I don't, I might fade into obscurity. I might just lead in ordinary life that would be a disgrace that's how we feel so if that describes you this morning is for you this morning's for you because as we continue the story we're in the new testament and if you've got the storybook we're actually going to be on page i believe it's 225 first service i said page 325 somebody opened it was revelation people were screaming it was terrifying Uh, 225 and if you don't have the storybook but you've got your bible we're in john chapter 2 And the reason we're going to camp there this morning is because there is a situation going on in John chapter 2 that there is just, it's so emotional. There is so much going on. There's so much on the line. And this situation takes a turn. And if somebody doesn't do something, this is going to turn into a disgrace. And yet, in the center of all of it, you see Jesus. And what we see Jesus do has huge, huge, huge implications For every single day of our lives. And so we're going to take a look. Again, John chapter 2, verse 1. You don't need much help seeing that this is a big deal. Listen to this. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Okay. You want to talk about an emotional situation? Wedding. You want to talk about big things on people's hearts? Wedding. You want to talk about being part of something extraordinary. Wedding. Okay, and I don't know what the stats were then, but the stats today point to just how big of a deal a wedding is. 65% of women admit to having every detail of their wedding planned before they ever get engaged. Our four-year-old started talking about weddings the other day, and I was like, that, that, that. No. We are not going there. Brides admit or when they average how much time brides have spent planning a wedding. The average came in, in America, between 600 and 900 hours of time. $72 billion a year goes into the wedding industry. But even if you don't know any of that, you know weddings are a big deal if you've been around a a bride-to-be, right? You ever been around a bride-to-be? Anybody ever been around a bridezilla? Has anybody ever been a bridezilla? Nobody wants to admit it. Okay, well, it doesn't take much to be around one of them and know this day is not going to fade into obscurity. This is no ordinary day, and this day is not going to be a disgrace. Nothing better go wrong on this day. And so far, so good. We're two verses in. Nothing's gone wrong. And then verse 3 hits. When the wine was gone. You ever come across statements that they don't tell you the whole story, but they tell you everything you need to know, and this isn't good? Parents, kids are really good at this, because they have statements like this. Mom, Dad, don't be mad. <laughs> or Mom, Dad, okay, just, the car still starts, okay? Or there's the one I used in high school, Mom, Dad, there's a big group of us in the parking lot at King Supers. The police showed up, but I didn't get arrested, okay? And you hear that, and you go, What? happened here and this is John telling us this is not good this is not good because what happens when a wedding runs out of wine what do you have to drink water plain tasteless ordinary water that's it and if the ceremony was meant to celebrate the bride and the groom then the celebration that followed was meant to celebrate their guests. And these, could go on for, these celebrations could go on for days in those days. So to run out of wine, one of the greatest ways you could honor your guests was wine. And to run out of wine is to say, after all the planning, all the preparation, we, uh, well, we just we forgot about you guys. We didn't get enough. In fact, it was such a big deal in those days that there were legal ramifications for this. Because we're out of wine, and all we have is ordinary water well that's a social tragedy you know that disappointment you felt when we just moved from wine to water that says something about something inside all of us and it's simply this that we prefer we prefer anything but ordinary we do i mean think about toast when you pull it out of the toaster you don't just eat the bread you put stuff on it right that's why we put toppings on ice cream it's why we put seasoning on food It's why when you go out to dinner, have any of you ever been the first one the waiter asks for your drink order? And you order water, but then Ryan Long's next to you and he orders Sprite with grenadine. Ryan, just call it what it is. You get a Shirley Temple every time. Just say it. The waiters don't even know what that is. All right. Sprite with grenadine? You mean Shirley Temple? So, And then Thomas gets an Arnold Palmer. Children get milk and suddenly you're looking at water going, it's kind of plain. That's kind of ordinary and I think I want something more. And Mary sensed it too. Look what happens next. The rest of verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. See, this is that thing inside you and inside me that when we see things taking a wrong turn. When it looks like this thing is headed for a complete social disgrace, Mary says, i got to do something about that. This is the woman looking at the painting going, i got to do something about that. That's inside all of us. Now let me ask you a question. Jesus is just a guest at the wedding. Why would Mary not go to a wedding coordinator or a wedding planner? Well, think about it. Who is Mary in relation to Jesus? Who is she? His mom. And nobody knows a child better than mama, right? And that was especially true for Mary. She knew what the Old Testament prophets had said about her son. She had a a visit from an angel who told her about her son. She pondered these things in her heart. She carried this child in her womb. She bonded with this child. So if anybody knew who this person was and what they were capable of, it was Mary. While all the other moms were driving around their minivan with a bumper sticker that said, my child's an honor rabbi at this school, (laughs) Mary's driving one around and the bumper sticker says, that's cute. My child's God. (laughs) See, Mary more than anybody knew that her son was God. And so if you had to choose between a wedding coordinator and God, well, you would do the same thing. I would do the same thing. So she goes to Jesus. It says they have no more wine. And look at this response. Verse 4. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. I mean, it sounds kind of rude. But if you look at this, it's really not that rude. It's not rude at all. And at first it looks like Mary is just asking for help with the wine. But when you look at Jesus' response, she's not just asking for wine. See, think about it. This is Jesus. You can't hide your thoughts from him. You cannot hide your motives from him. You cannot hide your intentions from him. He's Jesus. He knows your heart. So Jesus' response actually tells us something about the motives of Mary. And this is Jesus saying, look, Mom, I know you're having a proud mama moment right now. And you're proud of who I am and all that. But you're trying to make something happen here that you don't have the ability and the capability to make happen. You can't do this. He's saying, look, if it was up to you, we would, just, we would display all the glory of God right here to everybody because you know who I am, but they don't yet. And he's saying, it's not time yet. You're trying to make something happen that you don't have the capability to make happen. And Jesus is telling her and showing us Something else, that we prefer anything but ordinary, but extraordinary is not accomplished by human hands. It's not. He's saying, you can't make that happen, Mom. And I imagine for Mary, for her, hearing this was probably difficult, kind of like what I heard from my wrestling coach in high school. My sophomore year, there was a senior on the wrestling team, a guy named Ryan Fasano, and the guy was incredible at wrestling. I mean, he was awesome. His senior year tore through every single opponent. And I remember being at the Pepsi Center as he wrestled in the state championships. And I just thought, oh, this is inspiring. I am gonna, I'm doing the same thing. So I went home that night, immediately started running, started hitting the weights. And I did this for days and weeks and months on end. We got to my junior year, got to the wrestling season, first week of practice. And a couple of days of practice had gone by. And the coach said, men, come here. And I thought, oh, this is it. Coach needs somebody to put the team on their shoulders, and that guy's me, all right? He said, men, I've coached a lot of guys up to the next level. I've coached at the next level, and I just want to tell you, nobody in here is going to the next level. (laughs) And I remember being crushed, but looking back, I thought, you know, I'm kind of glad somebody told me so that I could just enjoy this time. And this is what Jesus was saying. He's saying, look, this is nothing against you, Mom. It's just extraordinary isn't accomplished by human hands. You don't have that capability. My Heavenly Father is the one who will make that happen. Well, Mary must have been okay with it. And personally, it doesn't say this, but I think Jesus might have leaned over to her and said, look, I know you want to make something happen here, and that can't happen right now. It's not time. But I can do a little something-something here, all right? Because Mary's response, verse 5, she turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he tells you. That's such a mom thing, isn't it? Like, okay, son. Hey, just do whatever he tells you. He's my son. I know he's going to do something. And he does something. Look at verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, don't miss the detail that John gave us there. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for ceremonial washing. Well, what does that mean? Well, Mark, who wrote the book of... Mark, good, just checking. Um, Mark tells us what that means. Chapter 7. He says, The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as wa- the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. See, what Mark's getting at here is that these stone water jars would be used by the Pharisees and the Jews in order to get clean so they would not be a disgrace to the meal. And they'd wash plates and cups and all that stuff in, the, in these stone water jars so that they would not bring disgrace to the meal. Okay, now follow this for a second. What did we just see Mary doing? Mary's trying to make something happen in order to avoid disgrace. What are these jars a symbol of? This is a container where man goes to try to make something happen in order to avoid disgrace. Now, come back to us for a minute. Can you think of a container that we have with us in which, with which we try to make things happen in order to avoid disgrace? I'll give you a hint. It's with you every moment of your life. It's called your human body. It's a container that we sit here and we think, this is the thing that we were talking about at the beginning. That my value, my life is tied to what I do with this container. And I got to make something happen in order to avoid disgrace. I mean, we have a culture, we live in a world that glorifies that. And that's not, a, that's not a bad thing, but I think we take it to an extreme. And we say accomplishments equals extraordinary. And if you can accomplish things and you can make things happen, you're extraordinary. And if not, well, you're ordinary. You're going to fade into obscurity. You're a disgrace. That's what this world tells us. And that's exactly why what Jesus does next is so, so powerful. Because he's going to take the container and he's going to give it a completely different purpose. Look what he does. Verse, verse 8. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. you see what he just did? He took something that was a symbol of man, man making something happen in order to avoid disgrace, and he repurposed it. He said, it doesn't symbolize that anymore. Now it symbolizes what I can make happen. And it wasn't just any wine. This container that once held water now holds wine, and not just any wine. Look at verse 10. Then he, the the master of the banquet, called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This was not just any wine, this was extraordinary wine. And Jesus is saying to Mary and showing us and everyone there that day that no, extraordinary is not accomplished by human hands, but Jesus turns ordinary into extraordinary. Jesus can take ordinary and he can turn it into extraordinary. You know what that means? It means it doesn't depend on what I can do with this container. It doesn't. It means it's not about what I can do, it's about what he can do. I mean, this would be like going down the highway with the engine of your car, and somebody takes a completely different engine, much more powerful, and puts it in. I guess it would kind of look like this. Take a look. That was not me laughing, by the way, all right, on that video. This is Jesus saying, look, you can depend on your accomplishments. You can depend on what you are trying to make happen your whole life. You can do that, but that's going to be like being in a little tiny tots, plastic orange and yellow car, trying to get down the highway on your own. That's what it's like. Or you can let me do it. And I'll put you on the trailer with a much more powerful engine And we're going to go somewhere. And John wraps up this whole story with one verse that tells us where it's going. Verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Okay, think about this for a minute. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Okay? Okay the disciples i mean for a while you're going to read in the gospels for a while the disciples kind of look like just for lack of a better word idiots like they don't know what they're doing and yet look it further down the timeline who did the disciples become what did god do with them well they were the ones that he used to build his church he took his holy spirit gave it to them and he built his church they built the thing that we're doing right now. We read about their lives right now. That's extraordinary. That's incredibly extraordinary. And you know what? It had nothing to do with their accomplishments. It had nothing to do with anything they could make happen. It had nothing to do with their capabilities. You know what it had to do with? Availability. Availability. And see, if there's, if there's nothing else you take away from this morning, remember this. That out of ordinary availability, Jesus brings extraordinary possibility. Out of ordinary availability, Jesus brings extraordinary possibility. You see it all over this text. With the availability of ordinary water, Jesus brings forth extraordinary wine. With the availability of ordinary stone jars, Jesus repurposes those into extraordinary containers. With the availability of ordinary servants, Jesus brings forth an extraordinary miracle. And with the availability of ordinary men, Jesus produces extraordinary disciples. And as it said, he got glory out of this. But not only did he get glory out of this, he rescued this situation from becoming a complete and total disgrace. He rescued it and yet his greatest moment of glory was yet to come that that thing that he said to his mom it's not time yet that time would come 3 years later when he was hanging on a cross and you know what he did he said to ordinary sinners i now give you extraordinary salvation wow all you got to do is say i'm available Just like Mary couldn't supply enough wine for the wedding, we couldn't supply enough blood for the salvation of our souls. And so Jesus, out of ordinary availability, brings an extraordinary possibility salvation. So the question this morning is this Are you available? I mean, are we available? Maybe it's your first time in church, and you've heard this your whole life, but there's something different going on. You're realizing that your entire life, it's been about what I accomplish, what I achieve, what I can make happen, what my capability is. Well, what if you stopped and just said, it's about availability. I'm available. If that describes you, and you want to say to Jesus, I'm available, there will be Stephen's ministers down here after the service to talk to you and pray with you. And if you want to say to Jesus, I'm available, we want to stand with you in doing that. At the same time, maybe you've been in church your entire life. Church people are not exempt. In fact, if I'm being transparent, pastors are not exempt. I had the honor and the humbling, humbling privilege of of becoming the associate pastor here at this church earlier this year. And if I'm just being honest, I've spent more time than I care to admit saying, I want to be extraordinary at that so what do I do what do I need to make happen and our heavenly father in the loving way he does gave me a loving smack upside the head and he said it's not about your capability Nathan it's about your availability it's not about what you do Nathan what you can make happen it's about what I do what he does I mean to say (laughs) it's about availability you know where I've seen this most clearly recently is here at this church. Two months ago, we've got this Power of One campaign here at the church. And two months ago, we asked everybody here to donate a $10 Starbucks gift card because we wanted to come along the, alongside the staff and the teachers and the faculty of Columbine High School and just say, Hey, we're with you. We love you. We support you. Thank you for what you do. And so we delivered those gift cards a couple weeks ago. And I remember um, as we handed them over, lady at the front desk, she's getting tears in her eyes. And I'm thinking, it's a $10 Starbucks gift card. It's kind of ordinary. And then I got to spend a little bit of time. Tuesday morning this week, the teachers had a staff meeting over there. Got to spend a few minutes at that staff meeting and just share, hey, our congregation, if the whole congregation could pile into this room with me right now, they'd be here got to to just share that we love you and appreciate you guys well a card came back from columbine and i want to read it to you because it's actually to you listen to this dear west bowls community church on behalf (coughs) excuse me on behalf of the staff at columbine high school we are extremely grateful and appreciative of your kind thoughts and well wishes in the form of the very generous starbucks gift cards your generosity helps to validate and acknowledge our core purpose and work in our community. And we truly value your support as we work to make a positive difference in the lives of our students. Many thanks for all you do in this unified effort with gratitude and in partnership. Casey Summers, Principal of Columbine High School. Wow. You thought it was an ordinary Starbucks gift card. And yet I wish you could hear from the teachers who said, this is what I needed. This is what I needed. See, Jesus does extraordinary things. He brings forth extraordinary possibilities with ordinary availability. So when you leave today, that dollar, forgive one, that's not just an ordinary dollar. Because Jesus has extraordinary plans for it. That hour that you give in the nursery or in Sunday school with children or or youth, that's not just an ordinary hour because Jesus has extraordinary things for it. But it all starts with availability. Out of ordinary availability, Jesus brings extraordinary possibility. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so merciful, so patient with us Every time we turn around, we're trying to figure out what to do next, what am I going to do, what am I going to make happen, and you stop and you lovingly tell us, it's not about what you can do, it's about what I can do. And truth be told, Lord, we know that we can have all the achievements in the world, all the achievements in the world. We We can, like the Pharisees, we can try to clean our hands as much as possible, but we know that doesn't get anybody clean, truly clean. We can try to achieve everything in the world, whether it's, you know, getting better at wrestling or it's a job title or more degrees or more money or anything like that. And we know that uh, if you're not in it, it's still just ordinary. So remind us of that, Lord. And suddenly take, open our eyes, take our lives, and use those for your extraordinary possibilities. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here, and thank you for not falling asleep, you guys. Have a great week.